Who did their homework? What was your homework? First Kings 16 through 22. You wanted to know about Ahab. Incidentally, since the whole focus of this ministry is applying the word that you've been taught, who remembers what Wednesday's message was? Oh, this where you find out whether the pastor is doing a good job or not. Come on, somebody, help me out. Everybody's scrambling around for their notes. There was a, a guy who... There we go. Jacob was changed from a deceiver into a prince with God and given a new walk. That is our testimony. Our testimony is that we were once tricksters. We were once deceivers, unable to please God in and of our natural selves. But God has touched us. He's given us a new walk. He's taught us that our weakness can be turned into strength. And we're all excited about that because as I look around, we can be a pretty weak group of people. There are times that we don't do the things that we want to do. And other times we do the things we don't want to do. That's okay. It's not that we're excusing sin. Uh, because grace abounds, is that we're acknowledging that we are weak before God and we need His strength, His power to work in us. That's awesome. I mean, if we'll do that, there's no limit to what God can do through us. We're going to get into Ahab this morning. This morning's message is uh, titled, Give Them What They Want. Uh, Y'all can turn... To 1 Kings 22. No, no, 22. Chapter 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings. Don't let it offend you that I read out the books. I'm doing that mostly for myself because it's embarrassing when I can't find the books I'm preaching from. I was always a little kid in class that if you had to give the next letter in the alphabet, I had to start singing it from the beginning. You know, I never could just tell you what came after M or what came after R. I had to, you know, A, B, C, D. Well, I'd do the same thing with the books of the Bible. Y'all love Jesus? Yeah. Man, I'm having a good time this morning. If nobody else is getting blessed, I already am. Uh, We're going to start in 1 Kings 22. And we're going to start in the first verse. I'm going to read this story, and I want to tell you up front, this is not one that you hear preached on a lot. For the most part, we're taught certain things about God. And it forms our, our concepts about God. And when we read the Word, we tend to take those concepts and conform the Word to it. For instance, have you ever been taught that angels have wings? Yeah, every picture, I've got a picture on that back wall that shows little babies that are supposed to be angels and they have wings. That's not found anywhere in the Bible. Angels look like men. Never are they shown to look like babies. And never is it said that they have wings. Now, I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying when you think of an angel, you think of an angel with wings because that's a preconformed idea. We think things about God sometimes. We're told that God is all-knowing. I don't disagree with that a bit. I just say He has the means to find out everything he wants to know. But I can show you times in the Bible where God didn't know something and found it out. Every heavenly creature in the Bible has eyes all over it. And the Lord's eyes are ranging the earth looking for something. He's looking for people's hearts who are fully committed to him. Well, why does he have to look? You know, 
Jesus said to the woman at the well, The time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth, for these are the kind the Father seeks. My whole point is, when you are thinking about God, let's think about Him as the Word describes Him. And it gets us away from some of this childish fairy tale stuff that is simply, well, God knows my heart and so it's not necessary for me to pray anymore. God knows what I'm going to do before I do it, so it doesn't really matter how I act. And some of these foolish kind of teachings. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. In this story, you find something that the vast majority of Christianity would just run from and avoid this teaching. And there's a reason for it, but I think God will, will shine light on it first this morning. You'll learn a valuable principle about God. And second, and I'm sorry, First Kings 22... And I hope I don't lose y'all reading something that's fairly lengthy, but we're, we're going to do our best with it. It says, For three years there was no war between Amram and Israel. I'm sorry, Aram and Israel. Amram was Moses' father. But in the third year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram. So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord. You know, that's a really wise thing to do. People will ask you for your commitment on the spot. Most of my professional life has been in sales. I, I was trained to get people to commit on the spot. You come in, and what do you tell the car salesman? First thing you see. What's the first words out of your mouth? Just looking. And yet 75% of the people that walk into a car dealership buy within two days. So they're not just looking, huh? That salesman's job is to turn you from just looking into a buyer. Well, what we need to be disciplined to do as Christians is like Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. We need to first seek the counsel of the Lord. I never forget watching some of my lost peers when I was in the car business react to Christians that said, I don't know about that deal. We're going to pray. And they didn't mean they were going to go home and pray. They meant they were going to pray right there. You know, you talk about somebody squirm. You know, I watched this car salesman who was, I'd become friends with but was lost. You know, you talk about uncomfortable. They all joined hands, include him in the circle, and they're praying. They looked at him and said, we don't believe Jesus wants us to buy this car from you. <laughs> he said, did you tell Jesus it had leather seats and the, uh, <laughs> and the power controls? You know, he didn't know what to do. But as Christians, our testimony needs to be that we seek the Lord before we do things. Because we love the truth. We want to know what God requires of us. We're smart enough, have been around long enough to know that when we do what is our desire as opposed to what is God's desire, the results aren't always good, are they? <clears throat> so the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Jehoshaphat found a problem with the previous 400 prophets. 
You know, there are prophets on your TV almost every day. They're not all God's prophets. But there are prophets. Sister Cleo will tell you, you know, uh, everything you want to know about your life. You know who Sister Cleo, Cleo is? The Jamaican lady on TV that, you know. All right. There are people that if you pay them, they will, they will prophesy to you. But it's not necessarily the mind of the Lord, is it? It might be their own imagination. It might be the devil's will for you. You really don't know. I remember one time I was in the French Quarter and I was with somebody who was lost. They ran over to one of the fortune tellers in Jackson Square. You know, I just kind of rolled my eyes. I think, boy, people will seek after everything to find out something spiritual other than God, the source of all truth. And I'll never forget that lady's eyes. She grabbed this fellow's hand, who is a relative of mine, somebody who's fairly close to me. She looked at his hand and then looked back over his shoulder and her eyes met mine. And she began to whisper to him. I could hear what she was saying. But her intent was that I not hear. She said, there's someone in your life who's very jealous of you. You need to separate yourself from him because he's going to harm your life. He wants things from you. And went on and on and on. She was lying to him because I was trying to give him the gospel. See, that was the devil's will for his life. Separate from that man of God. Not God's will. So you, you can hear things that aren't God. So Jehoshaphat sees these 400 prophets and they say, hey, hey, go. As one man, they all said, go, you're going to get victory. In other words, they told those two kings what they wanted to hear. Nobody wants to hear, hey, the battle lines are drawn. We're going to win or we're going to lose. You're going to lose miserably. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that, right? So the prophets took the safe road. Remember something, the path of least resistance makes rivers and men both crooked. If you listen to the advice that is the least resistant to you, if you always take the path that is the easiest, you'll end up a crooked individual. Sometimes God's desire is for you to struggle because it refines you. It reproves you. Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. By the way, the king of Israel here is Ahab. So Ahab answered, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat here says, The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria, with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Keniah, had made iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says, With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth-Gilead. And be victorious, they said. For the Lord will give it into the king's hands. So you get this picture. There are two kings. One of Israel, that's Ahab. One of Judah, the southern part of Israel. And his, his name was Jehoshaphat. They're dressed in their royal robes and they're sitting on thrones and there are 400 prophets before them saying, Hey, do what you want, buddy. God's with you. Look, I made these iron horns. Just like this, you're going to gore your enemies. It would be easy for the kings just to listen to him. But Jehoshaphat was fairly godly. 
He wanted to know what God's prophet said. So the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, as one man the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. Boy, have you ever had that kind of pressure? Somebody look at you and say, Look, man, everybody else is already saying this. Just agree with them. You don't have to lie. You just need to kind of nod, not say anything. Romans speaks of something called a tacit approval. It's when you're not doing the thing that is wicked, you're just agreeing with those that are, or rather not disagreeing with them. And Romans speaks of that being worthy of destruction in the same way that the people who are doing wicked. It's not enough for you to be like Sweden and remain neutral in every war. That's not enough. You have to choose a side. And in 1 Kings 18, Elijah's just got through telling the nation, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve Him. If Baal is God, serve Him. But you can't ride the fence. Y'all know the story God answered by fire and the nation dedicated themselves to God. Here we are a few chapters later, four chapters, and they already got surrounded around them another 400 prophets that are lying to them. When he arrived, the king asked Micaiah, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Do you remember that the king didn't like Micaiah because he never prophesied anything good? Y'all remember that? He said, I hate him. Well, Micaiah knows that. And when he shows up and they ask him, and he's already been warned, hey, look, just agree with all the other prophets, Micaiah answers with sarcasm. And he says, attack, be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? The king knew he was not telling him the truth. He knew he was not telling the truth because Micaiah never prophesied anything good to him, and this was something good. The situation is this. Dad wants to know, should I go into business with somebody? Donald Trump. And Carlos is there, and he says, Hey, look, before you do this, let's inquire of God. Well, there's a bunch of people who are lying to Dad saying, you need to go into business with Donald Trump. He's rich. It'll all go great. Messengers come out from Carlos to me and say, hey, everybody's telling him to go into business. Just let your word agree. Well, the whole way to Dad, I've got this in my mind. All the, they don't want to know the truth. All they want me to do is lie to him. So I get there with a great big smirk on my face and say, hey, go ahead, buddy. You'll get exactly what you deserve. Go into business with Donald Trump. That's what McKay is doing. And the king detects it. He detects sarcasm. He knows the guy's not telling him the truth. It's unusual, though, for God's prophets not to tell the truth, isn't it? I mean, that's rare. That's one reason that this story's avoided in the Bible, and you're going to see it gets worse than this. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? He wanted to know the truth, and then when he gets it, he's mad. I met a lot of people that wanted to know what would happen, but when they found out, they were mad. Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne with all the host of heaven standing around on His right and on His left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? What was God's will? God's will was that Ahab attack Ramoth-Gilead and die doing it. Now we're going to look at Ahab's life and find out why. It's, it's not a good thing to have God want you to die, is it? 
You know, that doesn't happen very often in the Bible. There's only a handful of times that God wants somebody dead. You know, you could pick all kind of enemies. God's not the one that should be at the top of your list. One suggests this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. If you heard this, if you heard it, how would you react? Would you not be broken and say, Oh my God, I didn't mean to get on the wrong side of this battle. I don't want God to be upset with me. I'm sorry, I repent. We, we won't listen to the lying prophets. Wouldn't your heart be quickened to do what is right? Listen to how they react. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenaniah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to you? He asked. Micaiah replied, You will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, Take Micaiah and send him back to Amnon, the ruler of the city, and Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, Mark my words, all you people. Micaiah is pretty confident, isn't he? We're going to read real quickly what happens in this battle. Then I'm going to tell you all what this means and what the principle is. Okay? So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise. Now why do you think Ahab went into battle in disguise? Because he believed the word of the Lord. He knew that Micaiah was telling the truth. But he didn't heed it. He knew Micaiah was telling the truth, but it was what he didn't want to hear. And since it wasn't what he wanted to hear, he tried to find a way to circumvent the Lord. He tried to find a way to outwit the Lord. He's going to go into battle in disguise because he believes God's going to try to kill him, but he's going to thwart it. This is no different than people that sit in church week after week and they hear the pastor and they know what he's saying is true, but they still want to live like hell all the way to heaven. They think somehow they're going to circumvent God's plan. Well, I know what the preacher said was true, but, I mean, come on. I'll just wear a disguise. I'll act religious on Sunday. But when I get with my buddies Monday morning, all we'll talk about is what happened Saturday night. I know I lived like that for years. To my shame, I lived like that for years. But wear your royal robes. Now, isn't that funny? Ahab says, I'm going in the battle in disguise. But Jehoshaphat, who is the man of God, you, you go ahead and wear your royal robes. <laughs> I've had friends like that in my life. said, oh, no, 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 we won't go, but, but you go. <laughs> We're going to be in disguise, but you stand up and you, you, you speak for us. His goal, all right, because the guy's wicked, Ahab's thinking, Jehoshaphat's wearing his royal robes and I'm in disguise. And God's trying to kill one of the kings? Perhaps he'll mistake him and he'll kill him. And in fact, his plan looks like it's working at first. <coughs> now the king of Aram ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel, which is Ahab. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, 
Surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. I want you to get this. There are thousands of people in battle. The enemy said, no matter what we do, we're going to kill Ahab. In fact, it was God's plan that Ahab go into this battle and die. But Ahab disguises himself. He puts on a religious facade so nobody will know who he is. And somebody draws a bow at random. Shoots into the air. And not only does the arrow find Ahab, but it goes between his sections of the armor so that it hits him and gives him a mortal wound. Friends, we can run from God, but we cannot hide. You can put on a religious facade. You can act very, bless you, brother, bless you, sister, and the whole time have hatred in your heart. God's Word will find the space between the sections of your armor. Not because He's unmerciful. Not because He desires to harm you. But because He desires you to die to your own desires and live to His. In my life, the arrow that made it up into the heavens came down and hit me at random between the sections of the armors was a verse. It was Matthew 7.21. It said, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That hit me. And it made it right through my sections of armor. See, I had it all worked out in my mind. I'd been baptized. I knew Jesus was Lord. I had my armor around me. The problem is it concealed a heart that had no desire to do God's will. I simply desired to avoid hell. And that arrow hit me. And you know what? I was pierced. When you're pierced by the Lord, you can do one of two things. You can harden up your heart, make your face like flint, and refuse to repent, or you can repent right there and admit you're wrong. When you reveal your weakness to the Lord, He's always faithful to show you mercy. When you refuse, when you act as if you have it together, you break off that arrow and you just look back at him, then he must break you more because he loves you. If you're persistent, though, in seeking what is evil, there's another principle at work that we will read about. Uh, we don't need to finish this story, but I want to tell you, it had been prophesied through the prophet Elijah the Tishbite that Ahab would die and dogs would lick up his blood. Also that his wife Jezebel would die and be devoured by dogs. This was a humiliating thing. You know, when uh, Kennedy, JFK, was killed, his funeral procession was something that our whole nation took note of. And it was uh, a ceremony of honor. I mean, there's even an eternal flame there. If the king of your nation died and there were dogs licking up his blood, that shows total dishonor. And not only did the dogs lick up Ahab's blood when he died, he died in a place where the prostitutes bathed. Which, from the Jewish mindset, you just have to understand, in the wall, a lot of things made you unclean. You had to leave the camp if somebody spit on you. You had to leave the camp if you had even holy relations with your wife too close to her time period of monthly uncleanness. So what do you think it was like? What message do you think it spoke to Israel to see their king dying, dogs licking up his blood, and he's laying in a pool with a prostitute's bathed. I don't, I, I'm not trying to be graphic. I just want you to get that picture. 
That's nasty, huh? Okay. Well, let's see what we can learn from Ahab's life. Go ahead, baby. You proclaim it. Okay. In 1 Kings 17, so hang a left. Verse 1. We're going to see that Ahab saw miracles in his life. Now, the point of these next few scriptures is that you remember God desired for Ahab to be deceived. He desired for him to die. But that was at the end of his life, not the beginning. God never sets out with the purpose of destroying somebody. The Word says He desires that all would be saved. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord's desire is that we be saved. But Ahab rejected consistently the witness of God in his life. And there is a point at which you can wear out even God's mercy. In 17.1 it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from, from Tish in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Ahab was a king and he was wicked and so God through his prophet said, I'm going to shut up the heavens. There won't be rain. And get this, even when there's no rain, there's dew on the ground in the morning. No dew on the ground. This was a miracle to show Ahab that God really was with Israel and that his actions were not pleasing to God. Ahab saw that. He saw it done. You don't have to turn to these, but I'll tell you because I, I don't want to run out of time. In Kings 18, Ahab saw Elijah stand on a mountain, call upon God, and fire come down in response to Ahab to Elijah's call. Ahab saw that with his own eyes. It's not as if Ahab had never seen the witness of God or as if he had not had multiple times to repent. If you're taking notes, that's Kings 18, 38 through 41. In Kings 18, 44 through 45, Ahab saw the rain return to Israel at Elijah's word. He saw rain taken away. He saw dew stopped. He saw God answered by fire. He saw with his own eyes at Elijah's word the rain return. Ahab saw miracles in his lifetime. He saw them. He saw them with his own eyes. Have you ever wondered about people? So well, what if they were on a desert island and they never heard? God will make sure that people get the gospel in their life. Every man, woman, and child will have a chance to accept or reject the gospel on some level. Living in America, you've had thousands and thousands and thousands of chances because you can't turn on the radio, the TV, or drive down the street and not see a billboard that talks to you about Jesus. And if that weren't enough, Psalms 19 says that the creation itself pours forth speech both day and night, which all men understand. God Himself is witnessing to mankind. He's teaching mankind about Himself so that we'll reach out and find Him. That's God's desire. Ahab, though he saw miracle after miracle, stiff-armed God, refused to repent. Ahab saw military victories. The battle that we read about where Ahab dies, that was his third encounter with Amram. The first two, God saved him. In the first two encounters, God came through with miraculous defensive victories. Though he was outnumbered, God came through. Though he was under siege, God came through. So he'd been delivered from this king twice. He'd seen three miracles just at random. 
That's, that's not even speaking about the other prophets that spoke to him and the other things that he saw in his lifetime. But Ahab's heart still didn't love the truth. Let's look at some of Ahab's reactions to these miracles that he saw. Those military victories, by the way, are in Kings 20, verse 3. I always try to give you the Scriptures so that afterwards you can look them up, study on your own. Also, every once in a while, I might make a mistake. It's your job to catch it. I rarely ever lie when I'm preaching, though. (laughs) Okay, in Kings 16.30, there's a statement made about Ahab. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Man, what a statement. You know, when you're telling somebody about your kids, right? You want to say, my, my children are the honor roll students. I mean, we have bumper stickers for that. You want to say, my kids behave. Can you imagine having a bumper sticker on your car that says, my kid did more evil than anybody who ever lived before him? You know, that's not exactly a badge of honor. We have a hard time even looking at our children's lives with sober judgment. You know, what do we say? If Mandy's my daughter and she's not doing well, what does the typical parent say? Mandy's in with the wrong crowd. What if Mandy is the wrong crowd? She's not. That's why I say that. You know, we can't acknowledge that there's sin in our kids' lives. We have an even harder time acknowledging that there's sin in our lives. But if you want to find the favor of God, you have to look at your life with sober judgment. The closer you get to a source of light, the more imperfections you'll see in yourself. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you should see. Not for the purpose of you being beat down and overwhelmed with your flaws. More than that, it's a chance for you to see God's strength working through your flaws. For you to become a new creature. Incidentally, after the 30th verse and 31st verse, it says, He not only considered it trivial, to commit the sons of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. But he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ebal, or Ephbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, Israelites were commanded not to marry foreign women. Israelite kings had an even greater obligation not to marry foreign women. God said, if you do this, your hearts may be inclined to worship other gods. You remember Solomon? He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Do the math on that one. You know, something was wrong with that guy. A thousand women. The problem is the thousand women didn't love the Lord. So Solomon, before his life was over, even sacrificed human beings in the temple of God. We need to be very careful who we allow ourselves to be in covenant with. Now, marriage is the strongest covenant between two people. But you need to be very careful who you get yoked with even outside of marriage. Be careful who you call your friend. Be careful who you go into business with. Be careful who you agree with. You need to be very careful because this woman, this woman caused Ahab to do evil things. Now, you know what? We would tend to blame it on the woman because she absolutely instigates it. We're going to see that. But you know who God blames it on? The husband. Why? Because he's the head of the house. Eve ate from that tree first. Who did God go to first? Adam. See, husbands, we have no right to point to our wives and say, oh, well, she, it is your job. You are not the head of the house because you act as the head of the house. You're the head of the house because the Bible declares you the head of the house, whether you act like it or not. 
just because you don't fulfill your godly duty in being like Jesus to the to the family, being the head of the house, doesn't mean you're not it. It just means you are pitiful at it. That's what it means. Live up to the calling on your life. You be the head in your household. That does not at all mean that you have somebody under your thumb. It means that you love them. You serve them to the point where they are willing to comply with God's will. Just like Jesus served the church by laying down His very life so that we are willing to be obedient to God's will. That's the model. Husbands, wives, I know you. I know you because I've got a wife. The wife will cross her arms and say, well, he's not acting like Jesus. And the husband will cross his arms and say, well, she's not submitting like the church. Somebody step up and be godly. Please. That's just good wisdom. In Kings 18, 2-4, we're going to see another one of Ahab's reactions. I'm going through great length here to show you what kind of person Ahab was because it's no small thing to have God send a lying spirit to you and to have God try to kill you. And you need to understand why. And i give you a little hint. It's not because Ahab screwed up a bunch. It's because Ahab's heart was revealed. But in Kings 18, 2-4, you hear these words. So Elijah went to him went to present himself to Ahab. Now there was a famine. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. Ahab knew that his wife was trying to kill the prophets of the Lord, and he did nothing about it. It doesn't say Ahab was trying to kill him as Jezebel was, but Ahab didn't do anything about it. In Kings 19, 1 through 2, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Elijah had put to death the false prophets in the land. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever be so... <laughs> I can't talk today. Be it ever so severely... If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Ahab knew that Jezebel was trying to kill Elijah, who he had seen shut up the heavens, call down fire from God, all of those things. And he did nothing. In chapter 20, verse 32, we're not going to read it, I'll just tell you. He spares somebody that God... Now, we're going to go ahead and read that. 20, verse 32. You remember I told you that Ahab had been in battle against Aram two previous times to the battle where he died? Well, listen to this. God's declared that he's going to go forth, he's going to win. And listen to what what happens in verse 32. Wearing sackcloth around their waist and ropes around their heads, they went to the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. God says... Ben-Hadad's going to attack. You're going to kill him. You're going to crush the whole army. But when Ben-Hadad comes and attacks and Ahab gets victory, Ben-Hadad comes and basically whines and says, please let me live. And listen to what Ahab does. The king answered, he is still alive. He's my brother. This is an enemy of God that God says Ahab was to defeat and battle and kill. But Ahab calls him his brother. Ahab not only married a woman that was wicked, 
He was willing to call the enemies of God, people who hated God, his brothers. Proverbs 12, 26. Y'all hold where you're at. I'm going to read that to you real quick. Proverbs 12, 26 says this. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You need to be cautious who it is you ally yourself with. I've had a few times in my life where I got too close to somebody that was not on God's team. You know what God allowed to happen because He loves me? Allowed them to burn me really good. That way I was reminded, oh, that guy's got claws. He's got thorns because he's answering to a different God than I am. And I remembered that my only purpose in friendship with the lost is to see them saved. But we can't just be intimate. can't just be friends on the same kind of level that David and I can be because we're both godly. Incidentally, James 4.4 4 says, friendship with the world is warfare to God. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. doesn't mean you can't be friendly to the world. You're supposed to be kind. Skipping down to the end of verse 34, Ahab said, on the basis of a treaty, I will set you free to this king. Now, he wasn't allowed to do that. God said to kill him. Exodus 34, 12-15 told the kings of Israel, do not make treaties with the other nations. But Ahab had no problem disregarding God's plan and His will. In chapter 21, Ahab goes to a guy named Naboth and he says, Naboth, I want your vineyards. And Naboth says, no, I, I can't. I can't give you my vineyard because God has said in Leviticus 25, verse 23, that these lands have to remain in our families. Look at 21 verse 4. Look at Ahab. This is where you really start to see his heart. Look at his reaction. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. You ever known somebody that when they weren't allowed to do exactly what they wanted to do, they just threw a big old hissy fit, laid on their bed, sullen and angry. Well, if I can't do it the way I want to do it, then I just won't do it. I'll take my ball and go home. Like two little kids on a sandlot. One doesn't want to play by the rules, so he just takes his ball and leaves. Every time Ahab was given a chance to repent, when the prophets of the Lord showed up and said, hey, you need to do what is right, he just got angry and sullen. What's sullen? My little boy can do a great sullen. Gabriel's lip can hit the bottom floor. I mean, it, it, you talk about Bubba Gump. His lip will stretch out to where he could trip on it. That's sullen. When you're mad because of the news you heard, you don't like it. doesn't matter whether it's true or not. God's corrected you and you didn't like it. Now, you contrast that with people like King David who are said to have a heart after God. David said, better that a righteous man would strike me. It's a kindness. It's an oil upon my head. If you're righteous, the rebuke of the Lord is something that's precious to you. It keeps you on track. If you are not righteous, every correction makes you sullen and angry. Do you remember Cain? God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, man, sin's crouching at your door. But you must master it. What's Cain do? Goes right out and kills his brother. God shows up. Does He kill Cain? No. No, He sends Cain out of the garden. Cain 
Instead of repenting and being humble in heart and saying, thank you, Lord, for not killing me, what's Cain do? He crosses his arms and says, now that you've done this, everywhere I go, people will try to kill me. God says, not so, Cain. Look, I'll put a mark on you so nobody will hurt you. If they hurt you, they'll have to deal with me. Does that make Cain happy? No, his face was downcast. The wicked, no matter how much kindness you show them, no matter how many opportunities to repent, they're angry because they don't get their own way. Understand this, friends. You cannot have your way and God's way. You must give up your desires. You must give up your wants and take up God's. There is not room on the throne of your heart for both your desires and God's. Now let me tell you a secret. That's why Jesus said if anyone loves life, he'll lose it. But if anybody loses his life, he'll gain it. That's why Jesus said that. And as you lose your life for God, the life you gain, your desires and God's will begin to overlap. So you'll get everything your heart ever wanted anyway. In 21, 7 through 16, you see that he allows Jezebel to have Naboth killed. You remember David had Uriah killed for Bathsheba? But when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 13, David cries and says, I've sinned! And then you see that psalm that we all love, creating me a clean heart. That was David's response to the correction. You know what Ahab's response to the correction was? Can anybody guess? Sullen and angry. In 21.25, and we're going to read that one, this verse says, There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. Ahab earned a unique distinction in the history of Israel as there never having been anybody that sold themselves to do evil in the way that Ahab did because his wife urged him on and he yielded to it. Friends, Ahab will stand before the throne of God one day. He may point and say it's her fault. It's their fault. And you know what? He will have seen miracles. He will have been warned by prophets and he will be guilty. When we hear the Word of God and we refuse to respond to it, we are guilty. It doesn't matter who encouraged us, who told us it wasn't true. All of the, You know the Word of the Lord when you hear it. His Spirit will testify with your spirit that what I'm saying is true. But look at 1 Kings 22.8 and you're going to see the principle that I've been wanting to get to. Oh, I'm doing good. i got about 35 minutes. <laughs> Check out this, this principle. In 22.8, the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. Now Ahab knew that. Ahab said, There's one guy in Israel that we can hear from God. But I hate him. Why? Because he never prophesies anything good about me but always bad. When you know that it's the word of the Lord but you hate it, because it doesn't say something good about you, then you're in Ahab's boat. And get this. If we do not want the truth that God is trying to give us, He will make sure that we get a lie that we want. We exchange God's truth for a lie. 
Turn to Romans 1 and you'll see that very principle. Say, well, why on earth did God, the God of all truth, send a lying spirit to Ahab? Why was God's will that Ahab be deceived? Because Ahab falls into this category right here. Romans 1, we'll start in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Get this, God has made His truth plain to people. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. If what your heart desires is sinful and wicked, God will give you opportunity after opportunity to change your heart. He will give you the opportunity to repent. If you continually stiff-arm God's Spirit that is trying to draw you to repentance, at some point, God will give you what you want, which is the desires of your sinful heart. Have you ever wondered why some people are so pitifully rich? Now, there's a whole teaching out there that says that that's because God's blessing them. I would go so far as to say it's the opposite. It's to keep them from getting the truth. It's to keep them from realizing that they need God and are dependent upon Him. Some people have striven for things that God does not want them to have so much that God finally throws up His hands and says, You want it? You got it. And they cannot be saved because their own desires have blinded their hearts. If what you want is deception, then what we're reading is that God will make sure you get the deception. Now that's the bad news. The good news is it works the other way too. If you want the truth, God will make sure that you get the truth. But we're going to keep going with that. 